Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And today I want to cover a subject which is probably dear to many of us, which is buying below market value. And with an unusual twist, because is buying below market value always a good thing to do? Now just to explain why I think this is really a really interesting topic, I put a post on the Facebook group, on the Progressive Property Facebook group the other day, talking about how buying a property below market value doesn't necessarily mean it's a great buy, which is quite an interesting idea, isn't it? Because in this day and age, no self-respecting property investor would go to their local PPN meeting, for example, if they weren't buying their properties at least 20, 25, maybe even 30% below market value. So I thought it'd be really good to have a dig into that and see what below market value actually means, whether we really want to do it, and whether it's all that it's cracked up to be. So what is BMV? What is below market value? Well, the clue is in the term really, isn't it? It's buying the property at a below market value price. Hold that thought because we'll come back to that. But maybe another way of explaining it is buying at a bargain price or buying a property cheaply. And of course, the received wisdom is that we always want to be doing that if we can because the profit is made on the purchase or so we're told. Very interesting concept, isn't it? What does it mean the profit is made on the purchase? Well, I think the context in which it's often mooted is that if you can buy a property cheap enough now, if you can buy it at a genuinely cheap price, at less than the property is actually worth, then you've always got your profit built in from day one, regardless of what happens in the market, regardless of what happens with cash flow, whatever in the future, you've always got that profit built in which is great if that's your strategy. Now, just thinking about that, though, is that what we always want? I'm not so sure, actually. Just as to give you a very personal example of this, as well as the buy-to-lets in my portfolio, I've got a few HMOs. And the properties which I bought to convert to HMOs, I have to say, I wasn't terribly concerned about buying them to BMV because the profit was actually made on the refurbishment and the conversion, which is quite an interesting thought, isn't it? But anyway, maybe that's a topic for a future podcast. We can think about that another time. But let's think about what BMV actually means. Well, obviously, buying below market value. If we're going to be buying truly BMV, we need to understand what MV means before we can put the B in front of it. So what is market value? We need to know market value to understand whether we're actually buying the property below market value. Now, my background is I am a chartered surveyor. Not saying that to boast. I'm not sure it's actually a terribly helpful thing. Sometimes, going off the tangent, people say that must have been very helpful when you started investing in property. Actually, I don't think it was because being a chartered surveyor was a bit corporate and I think it actually gave me the wrong mindset for investing. That's, again, a topic for another podcast, maybe. But one of the things which I suppose was useful is that it gave me a good idea of what all these terms actually mean. So what does market value mean? Well, very helpfully, 
the RICS, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, have produced a definition of market value. And their definition of market value is this. It's the estimated amount for which a property should exchange on the date of valuation between a willing buyer and a willing seller in an arm's length transaction after property marketing wherein the parties had each acted knowledgeably, prudently and without compulsion. So very helpfully, the RICS, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, define market value like this. They say it's the estimated amount for which a property should exchange on the date of valuation between a willing buyer and a willing seller in an arm's length transaction after proper marketing wherein the parties had each acted knowledgeably, prudently and without compulsion. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it? And it's probably worth unpicking that just to see what all those bits mean. So they're effectively saying it's what the property would sell for on the valuation date, but assuming a willing buyer and a willing seller. And it's assuming that the parties are knowledgeable, as in they understand the values in the market, they understand what the property should be selling for, and that the buyer and seller are also acting without compulsion. Now that's really, really interesting, because taking a step back, when a valuer goes out to value a property, how are they going to do that? Well, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, most valuers are going to be using what we call, can call the comparative method of valuation. So they're going to look at the property that they're meant to be valuing, assuming it's a, it's a house, it's a buy-to-let, it's a, it's a standard residential investment property. They're going to look at that, and then they're going to decide the value of that by comparing it with other properties, other properties that they or on the market, other properties where they know the sold price. And pretty much that is what they do. Now, I went to university for, for three years and then had to qualify for two years afterwards to be able to do that. But actually the process itself is relatively simple. And as property investors, we're doing it all the time. When we're thinking about properties to buy, no doubt many of us will go on to Rightmove and Zoopla and the other property portals. We'll look to see what's on the market. We'll get a good idea of what those properties are are fetching, we'll know what the asking prices are, and if we want to know sold prices, we can look at the sold price tab on Rightmove or on NetHouse prices, lots of other tools out there that we can use to get a really good idea of the value by doing exactly what the valuers are meant to do, which is comparing, comparison, looking to see what other properties have sold for. But is that the whole story? Well, if you think back to that definition of market value, no. It's not, because there's the proviso in there that we're assuming that the seller and the buyer are acting without compulsion. Now, this can cause all sorts of problems. Why do I say that? Because it's not unknown, for example, for properties to be sold at auction. Maybe there's at all, because it's not unknown for properties to be sold at auction, particularly if there's a distressed or a motivated seller. Or... Perhaps, maybe you've gone out and you've done some guerrilla marketing. Maybe you've put some leaflets through somebody's doors and, and you've had some calls back from people who are motivated or distressed and maybe you've been able to buy the property BMV. The thing is that once those transactions go through, eventually those sold prices are going to end up at the land registry. They're going to end up on right move. They're going to end up in the public domain and the valuers will be referring back to them. Now, does that matter? Well, the answer is, 
Probably. Why do I say that? Because under the definition of market value, in theory, we're meant to be assuming that the buyer and the seller are acting without compulsion. But clearly many properties are sold where the buyer, but clearly many properties are sold where the seller is under compulsion. We know this. And as property investors, we're often looking for those properties. We're looking for those sellers who are motivated or distressed so that we can help them find a way out of their problem, whatever that problem is. And often the problem is the property and we can take the property off them at a price which makes sense to them. But it may not be what would be the price if they weren't selling without that compulsion. So the words without compulsion and the definition of market value is actually quite key. Now the reality is, the practical upshot of this is that valuers will be valuing properties, looking at the comparable evidence, looking at the other transactions, looking at sold prices, and they'll be treating the evidence as if it's evidence provided by transactions where the sellers haven't been selling with compulsion. But we all know that they have. They may be looking at, as I say, sold prices which have been generated on properties which have been sold at auction. Now, technically, you could argue that if they're going to go by the definition of market value, they should be discounting all of that evidence. And they should only be looking for evidence provided by transactions where both parties have not been under compulsion. There we are. I don't want to get too technical about this. That's probably enough of the technical stuff. Let's just think about what this means to us. What it means to us is that in a way, and I hate to say this, it's a bit controversial, and if anybody from the RICS hears me, they might want to strip my letters away from me, but it means that probably the whole system of valuing properties in this country is slightly flawed, because I dare say that many valuers, they're not looking behind the scenes to find out why properties are sold. Because the information isn't there. Unfortunately, when you go onto the land registry, when you go onto Rightmove, when you look at sold prices, it doesn't tell you why the vendor was selling. It doesn't tell you whether they were distressed or motivated. It doesn't tell you how much compulsion they were under. It's just a figure. It's just a sales price. And in fairness, that's all the value has to go on. But it's bound to distort the value in the sense that it should probably have been disregarded. So what does this mean for us? Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? What this means for us is it's actually quite hard to decide what MV actually is. What is the market value? That's why I think many of us talk about, well, it's the price that somebody's prepared to pay. Yes, that's, in theory, a more practical way of looking at it. So it's one of those things where we probably know when we're getting a good deal, but it's actually quite hard to prove. And maybe, because sometimes I'm, I'm sure we've all had the problem where we've had a down valuation and we've wondered why the value has downvalued a property, this is part of the explanation because we live in an imperfect world with imperfect knowledge, whereas the definition of value actually assumes perfect knowledge for all the parties involved, and it just doesn't work that way. The critical point is, although we want to buy our properties very often at a bargain price, at below market value, it's actually quite hard to prove that the price we're paying is below market value from a technical viewpoint. Now that in itself maybe doesn't matter too much. As long as we're happy and as long as we understand the figures and we understand why we're buying the property. But here's the thing. This is what I've noticed. Sometimes as investors, we can get so focused on wanting to buy below market value. And we've just seen that that can be a hard thing to do anyway, because how do we define that? But we get so focused on buying 
below market value that we can forget some of the other investment fundamentals which we need to be considering when we buy any property. And the truth of the matter is that if we forget the other investment fundamentals, no matter how cheaply we buy the property, it's not going to necessarily make it into a good deal. Let me explain what I mean by that. Property fundamentals suggest that if we're going to buy, for example, a property that's an investment property, we want that property to be cash flowing. Because if it's not producing a cash flow, then the question has to be, why are we buying it? Well, maybe there are reasons for buying it. We can think about that another time. So fundamentally, we want to be buying properties which cash flow, because if we've got a mortgage on the property, for example, we need to know that it can pay its own way. What we don't want to do is have to dip into our own pockets to, to supplement the rent in order to pay the mortgage. We want the rent to cover the mortgage and all the other costs. Clearly, that's what we want from an asset, otherwise it's probably not an asset. But the difficulty is, if we get so focused on buying below market value, sometimes we can take our eye off the ball and forget all of that stuff. And I remember back in the day, around about sort of 2006, there was a particular development which I was looking at in London on the banks of the Thames. I'm not going to name it in case anybody's bought a property there or in case you know the developer. It was a lovely development of townhouses. I think there were sort of three or four bedroom townhouses on the banks of the Thames in southwest London. And they'd been built by the developer to a great standard. And the developer had then sold them off to buy to let investors. Now, this was back in the boom when people were just falling over themselves to buy properties. And they'd all been sold off plan or new build. And you know at Progressive what we think about that. And they'd been bought by investors as buy to lets. But the reality was, Although they're being sold by the developer at a discount, and although the buy-to-let buyers thought they were getting a great bargain because they bought them at a significant discount, the reality was that they hadn't done their due diligence. The investment fundamentals were not in place. There weren't enough tenants to fill these properties. And so these lovely townhouses sat empty on the side of the Thames for several years because there just wasn't the demand for that type of property at that type of rent at that time. Another example at the other end of the scale. I do a lot of investing up in the northeast near Newcastle. And around Newcastle, out in the countryside, there's lots of what were small mining villages with lovely terraced houses, quite often with stunning views across the valleys because the countryside up there is absolutely beautiful. And on the face of it, these terraced houses look like a fantastic buy because you can buy a property probably for under £30,000. Here's the reality though. Even if you were to buy one of those properties cheap, supposing you could buy a £30,000 property there for £20,000, would that make it a good deal? Well, the reality is no, because in practice, you're probably not going to be able to rent it out because there's not many people actually want to live in those little villages. There's no work there. People who work tend to want to be nearer the city. They're going to be in the suburbs of the city. They may work as a holiday home, but as a practical functioning investment property, it's probably just not going to work. But if you didn't know, you might think you're getting a property at a bargain price. You might want to go and fill your boots at 20. If you could buy a £30,000 property for 20000 you might want to buy half a dozen. But the reality is you're probably not going to make very much money out of them. So this is the key thing. Just because you can buy a property cheap doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a great deal. You've got to think about the whole picture. You've got to think about all of the investment fundamentals. 
And the starting point for any investor isn't necessarily thinking about how much discount they can get. I'd flip it around the other way and say, no, the starting point has got to be, can you rent the property out? If you come to Masterclass, my co-presenter Dixie Walker, he will say he's got two questions. Will it rent? And will it rent? And he's absolutely right in that. It's totally spot on. So whenever I'm buying a property, the first thing I do is I research rental demand. I research tenant demand. I research rental figures just to make sure that ultimately I can rent the property out. If the property is going to rent, that's when I'll start thinking about how I can buy it at a discount and whether I can buy it BMV. Similarly, another investing fundamental which I'd be considering is what's my exit strategy going to be? Because again, buying a property cheap or buying a property BMV doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a decent, clear or easy exit. For example, as I've just said, I invest up in the northeast and it's easy enough to buy properties which are perhaps more rentable than the ones I've just given the example of. You can go into the city, you can go into Newcastle and the other major cities up there and you can buy very decent properties, maybe still at 60, 70, 80,000 pounds, which are going to rent very easily. The temptation might be though to try and find something which is a little bit cheaper. What if I could find a 50 or 60,000 pound property and pick it up for 40,000 pounds? Wouldn't that be a good deal? Well, as the answer so often is, it all depends. And it all depends on how easy it's going to be to sell it should you ever wish to sell it. Because the reality is, cheap property is cheap for a reason. It's cheap because somebody needs to offer it at a cheaper price in order to be able to sell it. And the cheaper the price is, probably the harder it is to sell. That's why at Progressive we teach not buying in the Bronx, because the Bronx is probably the very cheapest level of property that you're going to find. Not only would you have to collect the rent with a gun, but if you ever wanted to sell the property, it's going to be very, very tricky. So we don't want to buy in the Bronx. We want to buy in a cheap area where there's a good yield, but which makes sense. That's going to be a level or two above the Bronx. But if we go into that area and try and get property which is really cheap, we've got to ask ourselves, well, why is it that cheap? Now, there may be good reasons why it's cheap. It could be about the motivation of the seller, and there could be very valid reasons why they want to sell cheaply. But ultimately, not only will I be looking at rentability and tenant demand, but how easy is it going to be to sell that property should I ever wish to sell? Because even if I buy that property at 15, 20, 25% below market value, if I ever needed to sell and I can't sell, then I'm stuck. If it turns out that I couldn't sell, then maybe the discount becomes irrelevant. Maybe I'd be thinking, oh, I wish I bought a property which wasn't at a discount, but at least I could sell it. So these are investment fundamentals which I think we need to be thinking about as well. And then the third one I'd be thinking about is how easy is it going to be to finance the property? Now that in itself can raise a whole host of questions because if we've bought the property at a discount, even if we've bought the property at a genuine discount, it's going to be quite hard to get the value or to value the property at the full value because there's a discount. And the value is going to look at the discount and say, well, the discount shows it's actually worth a little bit less. It's sad but true. I wish it wasn't that way. But so often we get frustrated when we have a down valuation because we know that we've bought a £100,000 property for £80,000. But the value is going to value it at £80,000. It's just the way of the world. 
no matter how much we try and persuade them, it's really worth £100,000, because it really is. So we need to think about what we're trying to do in terms of finance and how that might impact on finance as well. So there we are. That's just some thoughts on below market value. It's quite an interesting subject because the deeper you dig, the more involved it can actually get. And although we take it for granted that we all know what BMV actually means, it's one of those things which we kind of all know, but when we actually try and talk about it in a technical sense, it's actually quite hard to define and describe. So I hope that's been helpful to you. A few ideas. Don't just focus on getting the discount. If you can get a discount, that's great. But I would say that first and foremost, knowing that you're going to rent the property out and you're going to be able to cover your costs is more important than the discount. Then think about your exit. Because if you ever want to sell the property and you can't, then you might be stuck with a property which you wish you hadn't got. And then thirdly, think about how you're going to finance it and how that all hangs together and where that fits into the scheme of things and the figures that uh, you're agreeing and how that might impact upon your future strategy, getting your money back out of your property. After all of that and all of you've ticked all of those boxes, then I would think about how much discount you can achieve. And if you're going to get a discount, absolutely fantastic. So I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. If there's any subjects that you'd like to cover, get in touch through the community. Stick a post up on Facebook. We'll take the best ideas. We'll do future podcasts on that. So it'd be great to see you. Let me know how you're getting on. Here's to successful property investing. <laughs>